0: Roll Tide, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, and I've really been looking forward to this week because the Crimson Tide's headed for the Red Stick region for a prime time test in the SEC West. Bama's gonna be balling in baton rouge with the second set of tigers on the schedule this season, and these cats got sharper claws than that last batch in Columbia. So this Louisiana Saturday night ought to be one heck of a fight. The Bayou Bengals have always been known as hard cats to herd at home. But while a lot of teams flame out in the Flamingo State, it's been the site of some of Bama's most storied successes. We once had a run there where we went 30 years without losing at Tiger Stadium, and I've personally seen us win four national championships in the Superdome. You'd think playing in the BCS title game, 80 miles from home in that big, easy party palace, that with purple and gold, the Tigers would have laid the tide low. But long before the scoreboard said 21 0, it was goodbye, Joe. Me gotta go, me oh my. Oh. Now, this football feud goes way back. The Tide and the Tigers faced off for the first time in 1895, and Bama leads the all time series with 46 wins against 25 losses. The Tigers have actually had more luck turning the trick in Tuscaloosa, where the teams have teed it up a total of 18 times, and it's even Steven at nine wins apiece when the Bengals have battled Bama and Baton Rouge, the cat's climbing gear hadn't gotten them off the ground in their hometown very often because the tides record on the bayou is 25-9-2. Bama leads the series in Birmingham 7-5, and the combined total of games we've played in Mobile, Montgomery, and New Orleans is 4-2-1 in the tides' favor. You know, so Les Miles' recent ramble about Death Valley being a place where opposing teams' dreams go to die needs to include a crimson asterisk that says, Except for Alabama. And speaking of Death Valley, the nickname originated at Clemson in 1948 when a visiting coach said it was where his teams went to die. Then in the 60s, a Clemson fan found a flint rock on the floor of the real Death Valley in California and gave it to Clemson head coach Frank Howard, an Alabama alum and teammate of Coach Bryant's, by the way who placed it in the stadium so their players could rub the rock as they entered the field. Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge used to be called Death Valley because the noise levels of all those liquored-up locals. Heck, I didn't know LSU fans drank until I saw one sober one time. So the conclusion about this confusion over whether it's Death Valley or Death Valley and who can claim the name seems to have evolved from a lot of ethanol in those post-game pops in the parking lot. Anyway, one of the best things about this road game is the gumbo, and I'm a big fan of boudin. I crave me some crawfish. I'm always ready for some red beans and rice, and who doesn't love a little lanyard? But for the life of me, I can't comprehend how, with all that tasty Creole cuisine on the scene, why somebody'd want to stagger into a burger chain takeout just to pass out So guys, if you see some dude sitting there with his face in his food, try to resist the temptation to go crazy crude. Long story short, Keep your trunks off the drunks. It'll save us all a lot of bad publicity. But it's going to be fun, because if you've watched LSU crowd shots on TV, you've probably seen that it's always like Halloween when they convene. So the title will be trick-or-treating in Tigertown Saturday, but be sure and eyeball the booty they drop in your bag. At Alabama, we just mow the grass. Les Miles likes to munch on it. Now, I like Bermuda and St. Augustine on my travel plans, but not on my salad plate. Before we bring our guest on today, we want to remind you to visit our Bama Talk Facebook page. We're having a lot of fun with it, so take a look at it and lean on that like button for us. Hey, we got a guest today that's got a background you don't see very often. He played high school ball starting out at Central High School and finishing up at Powell High School in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, you heard me right and as a senior, had 120 tackles, six forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and six touchdowns on offense. By the time he left Alabama, he had not only played in 36 games and won a national championship, he was presented with the Derek Thomas Community Service Award following spring practice in 2009. We've got number 40 up in here. Baron Huber, we're glad you could come hang with us a while today. What you got going on these days?
1: Hey guys, thank you for having me. I, uh, Anytime you can get together and talk about Alabama football, it's always a good day. Amen. And just listening to you talk about those games in Baton Rouge brought back plenty of memories. <clears throat> my favorite game throughout my entire college career, and I've got to play in some big ones, was when we went down there in 2008 in a double overtime, or just single overtime game uh, against LSU when uh, John, John Parker ran a quarterback sneak there. In that first overtime to get us in there, and we we beat him for the first time since I was in school.
0: Oh, it was great! I I was there, and then we had that long pass to Julio toward the end, and then Rashad Johnson intercepts that pass to seal the deal. Yeah, Man, had,
1: that was the second one on the day. You know, he yeah. had one right before halftime and ran and it ran back. it back. Yeah, pitch so six. Uh, really, he was the he was definitely the most valuable player uh,
0: of the game that day. Oh, that was a great night. You know, my seats I was in the upper deck on the west side. Our seats were up so high. Um, it was, it was kind of weird almost there were we were actually looking down at the top of the scoreboard.
1: Well, speaking of looking down that last play, we ran a quarterback sneak and, uh, John Parker snuck under and I jumped over the top of the pile. And I'm looking down at John Parker, and he's asking me, he's looking up at me, and he's asking me, are we in? And I said, oh yeah, we're in. There you <laughs> and go. we're going to have
0: a lot of fun tonight, too. Now, that's what I call having an up-close-and-personal view of a touchdown.
1: Absolutely. Come I, on. I, I saw that white I saw that white line and saw the ball was across it, and I knew. I said, hey, we're in there.
0: I'm talking Roll Tide right there. Absolutely. Hey, you don't run into many Bama football players that grew up in Knoxville. What, who'd you pull for as a kid?
1: Now, growing up, I was, I, I hate to say it, I was a Tennessee fan. Um, well, we'll mom, consider this like
0: a confession. Sure, go ahead.
1: Sure, you know, I tell people all the time, they ask me, what in, what in the world got you down here? And I told them, I said, well, when you see the light, you know, you got to go to it. But I... Uh, Run to the light. <laughs> that's it. I, no, I grew up in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. My, my grandfather had season tickets there since 1957. And um, he had a, a 1980 orange Astro van that he converted and... It was all decked out. the uh, The horn played Rocky Top, and it had orange and white just about everywhere. And you know, I did. It, it was where I grew up. My my dad was sure. a Tennessee graduate. I didn't miss a game, home game there, till I was uh, like fourteen or fifteen, and um, grew up. Yeah, you know, the the sun rose and sat with Tennessee football, and uh, I was fortunate enough to to be uh, in the position to be recruited by by schools and. I actually, my first trip to Tuscaloosa was in 2003. It was the five overtime game that we actually lost to Tennessee. Uh, yeah, I remember it And well. uh, you know, I was sitting in section QQ, very top row. I'll never forget I was at the I was at the game with with my grandfather, the, the big Tennessee fan. And uh, we were actually there in our orange. It was
0: like a 5-hour game.
1: Oh, it was long. We drove all the way back that night. And the whole way back, you know, he was talking about how impressed he was with Tuscaloosa and Alabama as a whole. Because that year I think we ended up going three and seven
0: or it was a tough four
1: year. Four and something. And you would have thought that Alabama was playing for a national championship in an undefeated season. I mean the the stadium was electric, the people were electric, and the whole way back he couldn't say enough great things about Alabama. Now, to you that might not mean anything, but to me because I knew who he was, you're talking about a man who hated, absolutely hated Alabama football. With every fiber of his being he hated Alabama football. And I knew for him to say something like that, you know, he's a 22 year retired Navy guy. So he was full of, of, you know, he's a salty guy. Yeah. And I, you know, he, he had a lot of pride just like a lot of the, a lot of the military people do and for him to to talk about Alabama the way he did, uh, I thought, you know what, maybe that place is kind of special. And so we kind of chuckled back and forth, you know, what if I ever got recruited by Alabama? And of course now he wasn't too excited about that. He said, I'm not going that far, but, uh, you know, I was blessed enough. I got recruited by, by the university of Alabama um, I was uh, recruited by Sparky Woods, who's actually originally from Oneida, Tennessee, which is up my way. It's in Upper East Tennessee. All right. And uh, he recruited me, actually came to my high school, Powell High School, where I graduated. He was looking for uh, my best friend who was an offensive lineman named Zane Bruin, and he was getting recruited by everybody in the world, literally everybody in the world. I hadn't had any looks hardly at all. And so my high school coach told uh, Sparky Woods, hey, you really need to, re- need to look at this kid, and invite him down to your camp. And, um, he said, well, I'll leave a flyer for him. And so I got this, you know, this basically request to, to come to camp as a way to get Zane, who was my friend, Zane Bruin to come. And, uh, so Zane ended, not, ended up not going at all and I ended up showing up. So when I got there, they're asking where Zane is. And I'm like, well, I, all you got is me, <laughs> the dud. And, um, I, I'll, I'll never forget. I went there and I tell people all the time, I was blessed with the greatest athletic ability, of my life i've never been that that any more athletic looked better ran faster jumped higher than that particular day
0: well there's a lot to be said for peaking at the right sure
1: and that's exactly right you hit the nail on the head i peaked at at the exact right time
0: what what in the in all this process what was what was the one thing or at the one time that sort of flipped the switch for you when all of a sudden you realized you were going to wear crimson and white I i tell you exactly where i was
1: i was in mary burke hall Uh, in the cafeteria and that morning practice, I was a, I was a, I was a linebacker in high school, grew up playing, um, linebacker, middle linebacker. I played some, I played some, uh, fullback my last year, which is where he said I had six touchdowns. I'd run the ball on the goal line, something like that. You know, we get done with that morning session and coach Kines walks up to my table and says, uh, we're going to offer you a scholarship. You know, you got to remember I've been working for literally been working for four years. I had a personal trainer in high school. Uh, playing Division One football was my passion. That's where I wanted to go. My parents spent countless amount of money doing whatever I whatever I asked. You know, if I wanted to travel here to take a visit, I wanted to go to this camp. I wanted a personal. I wanted the best personal trainer. I wanted.
0: You had a plan. I wanted a meal plan.
1: I had a. I had. I had a plan, and my parents did everything they could to help me chase this dream. And to hear that was the first time I've heard anybody tell me that they wanted to offer me a scholarship.
0: And Joe Kines was a great oh, defensive coach. Still lives in Tuscaloosa.
1: Sure, he and he's a great ambassador for the university still. And to hear him say that, it's kind of like the first time you're married. I'm assuming. It uh, used to be you used to be married. Well, the first time you said I love you, you know, it's it's kind of like that feeling. I, I finally heard what I wanted to hear.
0: Of course, Joe meant it.
1: Sure. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Well, at least I hope he did because what I told him I said, "Well, I tell you what, Coach Kines, like I had some bargaining power behind it." There you go. I said, "I tell you what, if you'll put that in writing, we'll talk about it." And I, you know, just as soon as I was blessed with athletic ability that day, I was blessed with no brain because <laughs> now looking back on it, I thought this guy was probably thinking, "Who is this?" That was not the <laughs> right to, thing to say. No, not at all. But <laughs> give uh, me a pen, <laughs> sure. So you know what? Two weeks later, I got an I got a, a, an official letter. Uh, from the University of Alabama with a full scholarship. Wow. And uh, the next morning, um, I, I committed.
0: Hey, you you know, you come in as a freshman in 05, you're red redshirt. You hear a lot about taking that step up from high school to college ball, the, the difference in the speed and the size of the players. You know, what was it like go, to go from being one of the studs on your high school team to practicing against guys like D'Amico Ryans?
1: Uh, well, when I first got there, it was a rude awakening. Not only was it D'Amico, but Freddie Roach. And Freddie weighed Ooh. about as much as this house does. I mean Freddie is a is a big big man. He could bring it. And he could bring it. And so coming in as a middle linebacker, I'm going up I'm the cannon fodder for these guys.
0: But so you know you spend a lot of time sore.
1: <clears throat> I spent a lot of time on my back which where I wasn't used to. I spent a lot of time with a headache and I spent a lot of time being the one getting hit instead of the one doing the hitting. <laughs> Rehab. And <laughs> but you know they were great guys to learn from. They yeah. really were. That was why that that year 2005, uh, we went 10 and 2. Lost our last two ball games of the year to LSU and Auburn won in the Cotton Bowl against Texas Tech. We were successful because we had great senior leadership. I
0: tell you what too. Uh, you know, you and I were talking about this before, but uh, uh that 05 season had some highlights. I still say that 31 to 3 win over Florida at Bryant Denny, uh, I think it was in early October, was the loudest I've ever heard Bryant Denny to this day.
1: By far, not just Bryant Denny. I got to play in every single every single stadium throughout my career besides Columbia, um South Carolina. Yeah. And it was absolutely amazing. Not just like a certain time when it was loud. I'm talking about the duration of the game was in your face and loud, and that was a turning point. You know, it really was because those that next we had a lot of that was a big recruiting day as well, and we had a lot of guys coming in in 2006, and we started really kind of building up from there.
0: Well, I I think there was some carryover too because later on that we had that 6 to 3 win over Tennessee. When Roman Harper forced that fumble at the end of the game on that big fullback they had, they'd thrown some kind of short screen pass, I think, and he was headed for the end zone. Wade looked like he weighed two fifty, two sixty, and uh, Roman threw his hundred and ninety pounds at him. You know, he said I read where Roman said I just closed my eyes and, and oh, went after him.
1: You know, for me that's great. That's my first year being in the well, Crimson. And uh You know, it was really a great play call. They ran like a fullback screen. The kid was almost 280 pounds, Corey Anderson. Went to Austin East High School, played against him in high school. I mean, a mammoth of a man. So you're
0: playing against somebody you knew.
1: Sure, yeah. I I know exactly who he was. And uh, if you go back and ever watch that footage, Roman Harper's in a backpedal, and he sees that ball leave the quarterback's hand And I mean, as soon as it leaves his hand, he couldn't react it any faster. He plants his right foot and gets right back towards the line of scrimmage. I mean, like a torpedo. And he hits him square on that ball. He puts his head right on that ball, right like you're supposed to, and knocked it. And that ball ran like a basketball right through the back of the end zone. I mean, to, I mean, you see me. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting chills just talking about it. I mean, it was just a great play. It was a great Alabama football play.
0: You know, and then Brody, may, we, we got the ball, but we're backed up. Brody makes a long, and Tennessee knows we're going to throw the ball. Sure. He completes a forty or fifty yard pass to uh, DJ Hall, over on the east sideline. And then we moved the ball down and managed to kick that last field goal. It was the best six to three game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah,
1: we we gained more yardage on that one play right there than I think we did the entire game because it was a it, it was it was an ugly football game. It was back and forth. I don't think either team had over more than probably 200, 250 yards offense total. You know what we got down there? We put uh, old money Christensen in there. Jamie Christensen. And uh, he kicked it through the uprights. And if you watch that, uh, if you ever watch YouTube video on it, just watching the fans and the camera shake, it just—it's uh, a great moment. In fact, to this day, when my dad sees Jamie, he always tells him, "Thank you." So.
0: Oh man, I—I I, I, I can't imagine the nerves you gotta have. Hey, you know, uh, moving forward, you know, 06 was kind of a tough year that was Coach Hewlett's last year, and of course that led to Coach Saban coming in in 07. Now it's pretty obvious. Coach Saban runs a program that's no place for sissies. What's it, what was it like making the transition from the system you'd been in, or in under Coach Shula to the one Coach Saban put in place?
1: Well, Steve, let me say this first. Look, I, I was there. Um, we went six and seven and seven six and back in back to back years. I've been fortunate enough to, to be able to go around the country and speak to alumni chapters and Red Elephant clubs, and I always tell them that that period. I take pride in that just as much as I take pride in my senior year when we went fourteen and zero because really that if we hadn't have been molded by that yeah we hadn't have seen what bad looks like we wouldn't appreciated good as much as we did we were at the bottom of the mountain looking so high up that your neck hurt I mean we were we were we were at the bottom of the mountain it's good lit we had bad leadership uh, we weren't on the same page we had no really relatively zero team camaraderie uh outside of my class, my 2005 class, we were always close from day 1. And it really kind of took us getting older and bringing in the new guys and just melting those classes together. To this day, I I still can't I can't tell you who was on what year and what year they came in and what they were when I graduated because we all hung out so much that we just felt like we all came together, we we're all the same age. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not saying that everybody on the team
0: was buddy, buddy, but we had a camaraderie and that's what was missing those two years. Well, and you know, I didn't mean to, uh, I don't want in- anybody to misunderstand me. I certainly appreciate what coach Sula came in and did because, uh, this, the circumstances he was hired under, uh, were extremely difficult and unfortunate mainly because of the mess Mike Price made. So. Uh, there were a whole lot of people that were, you know, put in a, a position that was was difficult. But I know I and uh, Alabama people all over that 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 are really are really tuned into that appreciate that you guys took us through that. And again, still in 05, that bunch had one heck of a year. You know, we you know we've heard all about these off season workouts, the fourth quarter program. You know, because the emphasis Coach Saban puts on that part of the process. Scott Cochran's become one of the most well-known strength and conditioning coaches I've ever seen. Take us through what you did between January and the start of fall camp to prepare you to play at the level Coach Saban demands.
1: Well, I can still remember it. I'm talking about, distinctively, his first day in. And we're in the team meeting room, and he walks through the door. And believe it or not, the first thing I thought of was, I can't believe he's this short. Because, you know, you always just picture a guy that carries that big of a, a clout with him, you know, that is that impressive. You just picture him being this 6'4", six, 6'5", six, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And he walks in, and I, I learned quickly that his height didn't matter because when he opened his mouth, there wasn't an, an eye in the entire room that wasn't focused directly on him. And uh, he said, guys, I realize that you didn't choose me. I realize you didn't come here to play for me, but this is where we're at. We're going to get better. Uh, tomorrow you'll be getting a new, you'll be getting a new schedule and we'll move from there. And that was the end of the meeting. That was real hit. And part of that schedule was the fourth quarter program and his first year there. Now they only do fourth quarter now, I think for three weeks, his first year, we did it for six weeks, six weeks. I think he did that to weed some people out. I think he did that as a measuring stick to just see exactly.
0: He wanted to see who who wanted to play. Who do
1: we who do we got? He was doing that to really measure the field. You know, here's a guy that's a front runner. Here's a guy that that was going to dig when it's tired. Here's a guy that maybe he's not really that athletic, but he's going to play hard. Here's a guy that just doesn't have anything. You know, he was really doing that as a measuring stick, and he built his program from there up. And uh, the fourth quarter program, by far and away, is what separates us from everyone else. Well, specifically,
0: I mean, what's it like? I mean, we all hear about it, and we all know that exercise is tough. Sure, but we're talking about a level of of of, of work, of physical exertion, most of us don't ever even attempt. It's not
1: what I. Could, we had a uh, strength coach, Terry Jones. His son played football there, yeah. Terry he's still Jones there, Jr. Yeah. yeah, he's still there. And he's, you know, when you got in trouble, you used to do what you called stupid stuff. He'd say, we're going to get you doing the stupid stuff, like rolling around 100 yards and carrying logs and all this stuff. It, it wasn't anything like that. Everything we did simulated a football game. And we did it quick, and we did it uh, as many times as we could. So it, it wasn't anything that was like, okay, we're going to try to make you throw up, sort of like the, what you would see in a movie.
0: Was like that? So it was task-specific. It was
1: very task-specific. You know, we'd have like eight stations. And yeah. you could tell when you're at a certain station that this station was particularly for the wideouts because you were running right-angle-type cone drills and running things that similar a route. Uh, same thing. In other words, you're working at things you're
0: going to do in a game. C-
1: correct, except you're doing it at a high intensity. So that's how you're getting your conditioning in, and which, which to me is brilliant. I mean, it really is because you're not just out there trying to make people quit or trying to make people run until they puke. You're out there really accomplishing something. A and purpose. while you're doing it, you're getting in shape.
0: Yeah, yeah. And speaking of that, now now we've moved forward. Now he's been here a few months. Now we go into 07, the Tennessee game. And I, and I know you've been enjoying those cigars. Uh, we beat Tennessee 41-17 to 17 at Bryant-Denny. I remember we had, scored first and then onside kicked and recovered. Beautiful day. Uh, that win seemed to indicate that things were definitely headed back up because we were the more physical team that day, and they never really threatened to win the game. I'm guessing uh, that makes going home for the holidays a whole nother thing. Huh? Uh,
1: yeah, if, if I don't, you know, we have a house in Tuscaloosa. If we don't win, the family comes to me. I don't go. I don't go back home. Now I've been fortunate enough; I've only had to deal with that one time. But in 2007, the night before that game, we got we had the suspensions from the textbook violation. That happened that night. We found out right after meetings. That's right. So you know you're going to bed and here's you're hearing this chatter. Antoine suspended, who was our starting you know offensive lineman. We got you know several other guys suspended that that played a lot. And uh, you know I'm sitting here and I am hitting the panic button like you would not believe. And I'm like, I'm you know, I'm just so upset. I'm like, the night before the Tennessee game, how you know, the biggest game of the year for me, how could this happen? You know what, Steve? We went out there and stuck to the process. I know that sounds corny, uh-uh. but we did. We I'm stuck right it. to the process and we did. We executed just like Coach Saban said. Don't let exterior things affect the game plan. Don't let the score, the weather, the fact that they're wearing all black, the fact that it's a blackout, the fact that it's college game day, don't don't let any of that affect it. Just just do what you were taught, and if you'll just do what I said, you'll win. And we did. We won forty-one to seventeen. I oh, beat
0: them like a rented mule. And
1: I'll never forget after that game. My 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 father told me, of course, you know we're hugging and and in tears. And he said, as long as Coach Sabin's here, they'll never beat them. Tennessee will never beat and Alabama. You,
0: you went four and one against. Them.
1: I, I went four and one. My only loss was my redshirt freshman year up in Knoxville when we kicked a field goal on the one uh, half yard line, actually right before halftime. And that was just a three point loss. <clears throat> that was loss. Just, that was a four point loss. So it's if was... we'd have scored, we would have won. Okay,
0: okay, but
1: you know. Not that I'm still upset about it or anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it still counts. Hey. Sure. Okay, now the the O eight season starts out in Atlanta, speaking of blackouts that didn't work. And you guys beat Clemson like a rented mule. You darn near ran Georgia out of their own stadium. Uh, you went eleven in a row, and then you skunk Auburn thirty-six to nothing, and that game wasn't even that close. You know, some of the stars on that team were freshmen, Julio, Mark Ingram. Then you had guys like Rolando, Andre Smith, and a bunch of others that play on Sunday now. Sure. But now you now you're a red shirt uh junior. junior. And it must have been amazing to see how far the Program had come at, to that point. What do you think were the main things that turned it into the best overall program at the, in the country?
1: We could spend we could spend thirty minutes talking about what happened before this year, this this two thousand eight year. Uh, A number one, we had great senior leadership with Rashad Johnson, Antoine Caldwell, John Parker Wilson, Bobby Greenwood. They laid the foundation for where we're at right now. A lot of people think it was the two thousand nine team. It was that two thousand eight team in that senior class that. Uh, fall practice before that clemson game we went through what they call this thing called the the, the, um uh, what they call it circle of fire tuscaloosa broke the state record for consecutive days in triple digit heat 17 straight days that was right smack dab in the middle of camp. oh man and before that clemson game uh coach saban gave his best pregame speech i've ever heard him say and he didn't really say a whole lot and uh, it wasn't that it was you know that he said it loudly but he said that the the things i'm i'm prefacing a little bit just because I can't say everything he said (laughs) I got you he said it's a family show sure the things that that I've made you do this fall and the the pain that I've put you through there's not a team in the country that could do that and that's why you guys are going to go out here and win this game and that you want to talk about being fired up I could have ran through a brick wall I mean I could have and he was absolutely right we did everything that he asked us to every time he rang that bell we answered it proved that whole
0: year you know, we ended up running the table. Clemson you, made one play in that game. They ran a kickoff back and that was it. And they didn't do another thing all day. It was brutal. And you know, I'm sitting there with my friends watching it on TV. And I I'm old enough that I saw the Bryant years. And we're sitting there watching it and and it's we're just amazed. I mean, we just it wasn't close. Yeah, it it was it was a complete domination. Clemson Clemson was lucky. It was only thirty-four to seven, I think it was something like that. Uh, it, it could we could have scored sixty points that day.
1: You know, Steve, I think they were maybe ninth in the country uh, going um, in that game, and we were them. maybe eighteenth or twentieth.
0: And two first-round draft picks in the,
1: in the backfield. Yeah, thunder and lightning. Yeah, and uh, we we cleared the skies on them. I mean, they. Uh, I don't think that we've beaten several teams in the la- those last two years that have still not yet recovered program wise. Texas is another. Texas is one. I think Georgia's one. I think they're successful, but they they took them a couple years to recover from the blackout when we went up there and beat them 41 to thir- uh, 31. I think and great damage. Is one.
0: Yeah. Hey, you know, since coach Saban took over the team kind of along this line of thinking. You know, the team's really developed, like we're talking about, that uh, identity and a reputation of being really physical and hard-nosed. You know, what Missouri was silly enough to call old man football right before we went up there and showed them what grown man football feels like. When you were on the field, could you tell by looking at the other team when we had them? What's that like to look across the line of scrimmage during the game? And and can you get a gauge of where you are as far as if you're going to win that game?
1: It's a a look of – it's like you're just staring straight through somebody. Uh, they're playing hard. They're still playing hard. Sure. They're still playing as hard as they can because that's what's in them. But it's like every play, the, that overwhelming quicksand feeling just gets in their eyes, and you can see it, and you can smell it. I mean, you can just flat out know when kind of get a sense. We we got them on the ropes, and we're one punch, and they're done. And uh, we've we've done a really good job the last several years of not just getting people to that point because a lot of a lot of teams can get them there. But we've, we've landed the punch, and we've knocked them out. And there's two totally different things. People can get you there and get you there, but you also got to have that killer instinct to really knock somebody out. And we've done that in the last several years, and that's why we've been successful.
0: Hey, you know, I, I want to get your take. We got LSU coming up, uh, but uh, I want to get your take on the SEC as it stands right now. You know, you played against a lot of these guys, so real quick, let's run down both divisions. In the East, we know... Kentucky Vandy Tennessee and Missouri got no chance to go to the dance who do you like between Georgia South Carolina and Florida
1: I think right now Florida probably has the best chance only because they play the best style of SEC football uh, they're very balanced they don't have to score points to win I don't think George I think Georgia has to score points although they have a good defense. They give up a lot of points.
0: Well, F- Florida just beat South Carolina, scored 44 points, and had less than 200 yards offense. It's amazing. Oh, it sounds a lot like a team in Tuscaloosa, Sure, except we can make more yards.
1: Sure, and that's it, it, and he's cut from the same cloth. I think, without a doubt, Florida has has the, the best chance to get to Atlanta.
0: Hey, okay, in the West, we know we can dismiss Ole Miss, Auburn, and Arkansas. We know about state now. We got LSU this week, and it ought to be another war. How do you think this game's going to play out?
1: You know, Steve, of all the games this year I looked on the schedule, this is the one, and I don't want to say because I don't want to jinx this, but this is the one I've really le- worried least about. And and the reason why is because I call it the Florida syndrome. Uh, when we beat Florida with Tebow in 2009 in the SEC championship, we played them two times since then, and they have just looked like it's been 10 miles of bad road that they didn't even want to play us. And I think mentally we got into their head about that. And I feel the same way with LSU. I feel like last year, uh, first of all, two years ago when they ran the reverse, if we, discipline-wise, stick to the play that was called, it stopped. It's over. We win the game. The 9-6 to game should have been a 40-point game. We should have ran them out of Bryant-Denny Stadium. And we ended up doing that in New Orleans, and we could have put 40 on them in New Orleans. So here's a team, mentally, they know. You can't lie to yourself. You can lie to everybody else, but you can't lie to yourself. Mentally, they know, look, we should have gotten beat by these guys last six or seven games.
0: And the fact that we showed it in New Orleans, I think the gig is up. Cool. Hey, you know, you hear so much about playing on the road and the noise factor. LSU fans in particular – tend to think that if they just get obnoxious enough and cuss and carry on it'll somehow affect the outcome of the game. Now I've never seen anybody win a game with their mouth, but that bunch seems to think they can do it. How does it affect you or how did it ever affect you guys? Well, you know, once the game starts, does it really have any effect on your ability to play the game other than just being able to hear?
1: Well, there's there's places like when we played in Baton Rouge where honest honest to god you can't you can't hear out there at all and you really can't even hear on the sidelines even when their offense is out there because there's so many people and it is so loud but I think that that works somehow that works for the opposing team, especially when you have good team chemistry, it draws you together. Think about when you were a kid and you went somewhere and you got scared. What's the first thing you did? You ran back to mom, right? Because you trusted mom and you loved mom. Same way in a team. When you go out there and you get a little bit nervous or you look at it and go, Oh, this is hostile. What's the first thing you do? You come back together. And when you have that, that's what you're looking for. That's what, that's what winning football is. That's what a winning football team looks like. So, I think I think our team has that, and that's another reason why it doesn't really bother me about the crowd noise. Now, I will say this much. Uh, we get midway through the third quarter, and it's a one-possession game, and we don't look like we're playing Alabama football. I will get a little bit squirrely, but until then, like I said, put them on the ropes, and let's knock them out early.
0: Hey, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you another question. After all you went through in those five years, the five years you spent at Alabama that culminated with winning a national championship in the Rose Bowl, maybe the most famous football stadium of all, tell us what you were thinking and feeling in those final moments in that last locker room.
1: It was, um, I still get emotional even thinking about it. A lot of work put in in five years. Yeah, man. And uh, there's a lot of work put in before that. And uh, for us to all come together together, as a team, and be able to accomplish that, and leave together as a team, and leave together as number one—the uh, biggest it, win on
0: the biggest stage.
1: It doesn't get any better. It's it's a fairy tale ending for us.
0: Hey man, it's been so much fun, and man, we could do this for another hour. Sure. I wish we had more time. And thanks so much for taking time to come hang out a while. You know, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, uh, uh, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Sure, I'm on Facebook. Um, my name Baron Huber. Uh, I, I do Twitter, bhuber 40, uh, at bhuber 40 on Twitter. Um, as far as social networking, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, I'm in medical sales. Now I started a medical distribution company with my mom right out of college. And so okay. we're here in, uh, both Tennessee and Alabama. And uh, trying to work at that. Small business owner and uh, just trying to do the American dream now. (laughs) I can't play for a Rose Bowl, but I can play for, I guess, money now.
0: And I want to wish you all the luck in the world with it, bud. Sure, thank you very much. Well, it's almost time to head for the locker room, but before we finish up, we want to give you a heads up about one of the other shows on the menu at bigbrainsmedia.com. Next time you're ready for something real, relevant, and relational, check out eavesdrop. Women make up a huge part of our audience, and this is a show we think you ladies will enjoy, so jump in there with Jenny and Heather, first chance you get. We want to remind you that in addition to our online home at bigbrainsmedia.com, you can find us in the podcast section of iTunes, and the downloads are free. So we hope you'll hit that subscribe button which makes saving, storing, and accessing every show easy and automatic. You can also find us on Stitcher now too. Now hey, we want you to hang in there with us because this stretch of games coming up are the kind where we gotta step up so we can stand out. If you want to have a season to remember, you gotta make it happen in November and it starts this Saturday night. So for now we gotta run, but son of a gun, we are gonna have big fun on the bio. So as the swamp people down there say, laissez bon temps rouler. Thanks for taking time to hang out. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and Roll Tide.